You're listening to the Creating a Brand podcast. I am your host, Alex Sanfilippo, and today's guest is a man who has read thousands of books in the last five years. You heard me right, thousands of books in the last five years. His name is Steve Cunningham. He is the founder and CEO of a company called Read It For Me. The name of his company I know kind of gives it away. Steve has created a service that reads books for you, but it's not exactly what you're thinking. Read It For Me doesn't actually read you the entire book. It's a summary of the most important parts or biggest takeaways, actionable steps from popular business books and personal development books. As their website says, the best of a book in 12 minutes. The different titles that Steve has available on his website are second to none. He has literally picked the best of the best. Because of this, I knew when I found this service, I was like, I want to be a customer for sure. But first, I want to put it to the test because I didn't want just a book summary. I wanted to see if it was going to be actual value add. So I pulled out my notes from previous books I had read. I found three that had really good notes on. And then I also realized he had those three books. He had covered them before. So I did a comparison. I listened to his summaries and compared them to my notes. And it kind of blew my mind because it was so similar. Some of it was like almost word for word. And I was like, man, how did this guy do this? How did he pull the same stuff as his book that, that I did? And so you all know me. Again, I wanted to be a customer at this point, but I also wanted to meet the founder or creator of it because I wanted to find out how he had done this. So Steve was nice enough to have a phone conversation with me. And during our call together, I realized that he'd figured out how successful people learn and implement what they learn. It was an extremely fascinating conversation. So in this episode, we're going to talk about how highly successful people learn and implement what they learn and how you can begin doing this. The same. And don't worry, at the end, we'll also have an offer for you to sign up for Read It For Me. It's actually a free one-year membership that Steve was kind enough to give to the Creating a Brand podcast listeners. So I'm really excited to share that with you. I don't want to spoil anything, so let's get ready to relearn how to learn in today's episode. Here is my interview with Steve Cunningham. Steve, glad to have you here today. Yeah, thanks for having me. You've read, I've heard your voice, I should say, hundreds of times in books. And I have to be honest with you, it's a little bit weird having a conversation with you. I feel like I should be sitting down taking notes just listening because that's what I'm used to when I hear your voice. You should ask my wife if she likes hearing my voice. And I'll get a, <laughs> a much different response. But I, nice. I appreciate you putting up with me. Uh, yeah, no, it's it's great. You do a really good job reading. And actually, I'd like to, you know, I talked about it in the intro a little bit, but I'd love to hear some of your backstory. What made you decide to start Read It For Me? Why was this something that you thought was a need? What, what kind of brought this up in your mind? Like most things in my life, this kind of happened by accident. And I'll just, I'll just give you kind of my backstory and how it led into creating the service and kind of how that led to me generating some insights around how successful people learn. I usually start off my story by telling people that I was a lawyer for exactly one week, which is a true story. And I think it's a world record. I don't know if you know anybody who went to law school who was a lawyer, but basically Mm -hmm. what law school is, is three years of reading hundreds of pages every single night, summarizing what you learn and coming back the next morning, hoping that the professor doesn't pick on you in front of all your friends and embarrass you. So you get really good at, and of course, nobody can read hundreds of pages every single night. So what you get really good at is summarizing information and and picking out main points without actually reading word for word what's in the text. Throughout law school, I got a job at a, a law firm over the summer, which is one of the things you typically do. As I like to joke, I thought the law firm experience was going to be a lot like Boston Legal, if you ever watched that show. Smoke some cigars, drink some scotch, regale each other with stories of being in court that day, and just just kind of had that fantasy of what lots right. shows and, and movies portray about the law profession. And You lasted uh, one week, so I'm guessing that's not true then, is it? 
is not true at all. What I found was that, and I, I get to carry the briefcase of a senior lawyer over the span of a summer. And I, what I realized was that the practice of law was boring, repetitive, and most of the lawyers that I met actually just hated their life. And I realized hmm. that that wasn't going to be for me if I was going to work for decades to turn into a miserable old man making a good living, but you know, by no means getting rich, I could probably find some better things to do. So mm-hmm. I, and, and that's not to say that some of the people I met really love their job, but I would suggest that it's a very small percentage of those people. I so I joined what at the time was my, my father's business. It was a small signage manufacturing company. But actually, just rewinding just one second, the, the law firm asked me to stick around for one week after I got called to the bar. So I actually decided in the middle of law school that I wasn't going to become a lawyer. And they asked mm-hmm. me to stick around to finish up a file I was working on. So I said, that's probably the nice thing to do, the right thing to do. And I'll have a good story to tell for the rest of my life. So that's that's how I was a lawyer for exactly for one week. One week. So my father quickly made me the the president of this small signage manufacturing company. As I like to joke, if law school does a bad job of preparing you to be a lawyer and it does a bad job of doing that, it does an even worse job of preparing you to run a business. And they teach you hmm. nothing about running a business. So I, I did the only thing I knew how to do, which is I ran out to the bookstore, bought as many books as I could, and I started repeating the process that I did in law school, which is just a habit by then, which is taking notes, summarizing what I was learning, and making sure that I had something to refer back to in the future. Along the way- And these are business books? Business books, leadership books, sales okay. books, marketing books, all the things that you need in order to learn about you know, running a small business. And for some reason, I was inspired to create a marketing agency. Rather than running a sign company, I transformed it or spun out a marketing agency from it. And I became a a keynote speaker. Uh, This is around the time when social media was becoming a big thing for business because I was young enough to Mm -hmm. look like I knew what social media was all about and old enough that I might know a thing or two about business, neither of which were true. Good job. (laughs) Yeah. they. (laughs) But uh, you had the look, right? That's right. It's all that matters. And so I got booked for speaking at a lot of conferences and groups of CEOs around the country. And so as I was doing those, it became very easy to get meetings with CEOs and VPs and of marketing that we wanted to do business with, but it was really hard to get somebody to close a deal. And that's because nobody wanted to be the first one to do social media marketing for their business mm-hmm. when nobody had done it before. And this was back when there were no case studies around best practices and it was kind of seen like a joke. Obviously things have changed. But in every one of those meetings, what I had noticed is that there was a stack of books on their shelf. And doing a little sales one-on-one rapport building, I would and invariably I had read one or two or three of the books that they had on their shelf. And I would mm-hmm. ask them, you know, what did you think about this idea for from that book and that idea from this book. And they eventually would sheepishly admit that they hadn't read the book. I thought, well, you know what? I've, I've made some notes on this book. I'll send them off to you and hopefully that'll help trying to do a little influence behavior there. So I did that and people started to tell me that what I was doing was really valuable. Could I send them some more? And they'd even pay if I sent them some more. And so what we decided to do is, you know, realizing that we were doing something valuable is turn those into what was essentially a content marketing strategy before anybody was doing content marketing. So again, this was back in the time when all of this stuff was new. So we created a, a crappy animated video, put my voice on the recording and started sending these summaries out by video, hoping that 
we send it to a few people. They would pass it on to their VP and CEO friends. That would drive traffic back to our website, and uh, some of those people would become clients. And so mm-hmm. that's exactly what happened. But we started to get some interesting calls from people, one of which was, well, how do we pay for this? And we would tell them, well, we, you don't need to pay for this. This is free. And they would, But they would just keep insisting that they wanted to pay for it. And I would say, no, wow. you don't understand. Like, this, this, is, this is free. Enjoy it. You know you're good when people want to pay you, though, right? I mean, that, that's a good spot to be in. It's a very good clue that you're, you're doing something valuable, uh, for sure. Yeah. But I'm not that smart, so it took me a while to, to come around. <laughs> okay. That's your indicator so, right there. That's right. They wore me down. And, so, but, and they would respond to me like, no, you don't understand. We really love what you're doing. We're afraid that you'll stop doing it if you don't get customers. So we want to become customers. So that was the first type of call we would get. And the second type of call was from venture capitalists. And I, was, I had no idea what a venture capitalist was. And I would get calls from guys and gals in California asking me what my business model was. I told them we were building a marketing agency. And as I like to joke now, that's probably the best way to get rid of those pesky VCs is tell them you're building a marketing agency. (laughs) They'll leave you alone forever. So anyways, we uh, finally came around, realized that we had something there. I put up a PayPal paywall and started to see if people would pay us. And lo and behold, they did. And then we decided that, well, that was, that was fun. And that was cool. You know, making money while you sleep is always a a fun thing. And then Mm -hmm. We thought, well, maybe we can get some corporate customers. So I, not knowing that you shouldn't do this, I cold emailed Tony Shave, is the CEO of Zappos, and sent him this long rambling email about how our company could connect with their core values. And one of their core values was growth and learning. Lo and behold, they became our first corporate customer for- Oh, that worked. Me. It worked. I don't know if wow. it would work All today, right. but back when we were doing that, it, it actually worked. He connected me That's to, good. Their, to their VP of HR, and I think they, they call it something else. Because they're wild and wacky as Zappos. Yes, they are. But, so yeah, so that was that was kind of how the you know, Read It For Me was born. It was an accident. It was never designed to be a business. And from there, what ended up happening, again by accident, is that you know, we noticed one of the things that we thought was that our business was going to be for people who were all who were not successful yet, but wanted to be successful someday. So younger mm-hmm. people wanting to climb the ladder, so to speak. But what we found out was that our customers were actually people who all were already very successful, the senior executives, successful entrepreneurs. Hmm. And so that was a that was surprising to us. And the next surprising thing was I wanted to reach out to them and ask them, you know, what why why are you using our service and to teach us how you're learning. And they took my calls and they took my emails and they responded to me. So I I was in this weird situation where very successful people were willing to give me their time when in any other, there would be no other situation in which I could have access to those people. So it was kind of a weird, a weird place. And, you know, to this day, that's the case. Uh, So for whatever reason, they're, they're willing to, to give me their time. And so that, that was kind of what led us into the journey of starting to unpack how very successful people learned and is kind of heading us into the next part of our journey here at Read It For Me. So for a very mm-hmm. long time, we didn't really dive into you know, how the world's most successful people learned. We thought they were, just, they were using it the way we thought they would use it, which is we send a, a summary out, mm-hmm. they'll consume it, they'll apply it to what they're up to and everybody's happy and they're saving time. What we, what we, you learned something different than that though, right? We did. So I'll I'll give you kind of a little bit more of my story and how the, the insight around this kind of came to fruition. So 
One of the one of the very successful people that you know I've had the pleasure of connecting with is a gentleman by the name of Graham Weston, who founded a company called Rackspace in San Antonio, which is where I am right now. I'm originally from Toronto, and so I sent an email to Graham one time saying I'd love to connect and learn more about you and what you're up to and and how you're learning. He invited me down to San Antonio, and I spent some time with him and some of the other people in his his network. And Rackspace, by the way, was a multi billion dollar company. He was the founder. And so he's obviously done very well for himself and is very successful at at what he does. And I I fell in love with what they were doing here in San Antonio, building a tech scene, really growing what is already one of the largest cities in in the United States to an even larger city with with a tech cybersecurity focus. So came down here and packed up. And one of the books, so we packed up our things, came down to San Antonio, and I packed my favorite book of all time by Charlie Munger called Poor Charlie's Almanac. Charlie Munger, if you don't know, if you're listening, is the right-hand man to Warren Buffett at Berkshire Hathaway. It's one of those huge, heavy coffee table books that weighs a thousand pounds and costs you know $150 to buy. So like yeah. very few people end up buying it. But I got it for Christmas one year. And I, I took it out of the box and I put it on my nightstand. And I said, you know, every once in a while, I'm going to open this book and I'm just going to let go to a random page and read the wisdom of Charlie Munger and let it wash over me. And may, maybe that'll lead to something. So I did that one night. And I've, one of the nights I randomly flipped to a page and I had a quote that was kind of a, the turning point in my, my journey around learning. And it was a quote from a guy from the 1800s. And it said, the most valuable result of all education is the ability to make yourself do the thing that ought to be done when it ought to be done, whether you like it or not. And hmm. wow. I, I remember thinking, wow, that's one of the most profound things I've ever read around learning. And I know that because apparently I had underlined it highlighted it, started it, dog-eared the page. I've done everything in my power to remember this quote. And as I read mm-hmm. it for what was apparently not the first time here in San Antonio, I realized that I had no recollection of ever reading that. So Interesting. it dawned on me that between the first time I read that quote, which would have been about five years ago, to the second time I read the quote, which was here in San Antonio, I had read over 1,500 books, which is a and a My large goodness. number of books, and I had applied almost none of it. And so to hmm. me, it was kind of like one of those moments where if you've seen the movie, The Sixth Sense and the ring drops at the end of the movie, it's like everything <laughs> kind of comes flooding back to you. Like, well, like, right. what, what's happening here? I don't know, it, it, it was their like out-of-body experience. And I, so, you know, I right. felt you know, depressed and excited that I, I had some sort of an insight. And so I, I decided in that moment that I was going to figure out wh- why is it that I don't remember reading this book ever. There was this profound quote that says you need to put things into action. Like that's the only mm-hmm. valuable result of learning. And I had not been doing it f- while reading 1500 books. And so that was yeah. a huge insight for me. And so I start, what I started to do was I started to reach back out to the successful people that were using our service. And one of them was, was Graham. And I started to unpack, like, tell me, tell me a little bit more about how you learn and how you go through the process of you know, taking this knowledge and putting it into practice and turning it into results. And that, that was really when I got on the journey of unpacking how the world's most successful people learn. That was the, the turning point for me where I realized that even though I was doing all of the things that 
learning scientists and people who are are known to be experts in the field of learning. I was doing everything that they said I should do. I was summarizing, putting things into my own words, because obviously that's what we do, you know, practicing and reviewing and all of those things. And yet I was not doing the most valuable results of what I should be doing, which was putting it into action. So now you are doing those things, though. Have you noticed a change in yourself since, I know I'm getting real personal now, but have you noticed a change in who you are since you started actually reading it and implementing, not just maybe going through the motion of it? Because 1,800 books, is a, that's a lot. It's a lot of books. And there, there was a bunch of things that I learned out of the, the process. One of the things, before I jump into the whole, the whole spiel, is that it's actually really hard to, to learn like the world's most successful people learn because you need to okay. unlearn. It's kind of a meta thing. You got to unlearn how you learn how to learn. And wow. Because you have these habits built up, you know, every, everybody spends, you know, 10 plus years in school and we're mm-hmm. taught a very specific way of learning, which centers around consuming information and regurgitating it on a test. That's how we're taught how to learn. Yep. And in the real world, that is not, you know, the real world doesn't care how much you know, it cares how much you can do. And so, wow. and it's a very distinct process that none of us learned while we were in school. And some of the world's most, you know, successful people kind of intuited that way, that approach. And I got have gotten very good at it over the years. And as it turns out, I had not. And thinking that I was doing all the things that I was supposed to be doing, yet realizing, hopefully not too late, that there's a better way to do it. If you're creating a brand, whether it's a personal brand through a blog or influencing on social media, or a professional brand with a product or service that you're offering, the Creating a Brand community is for you. We are your digital mastermind or tribe. Our community is built on our own custom social media platform where we share our experiences, recommendations, and solve real problems together. In addition, all members have exclusive access to our many online courses. Ultimately, we are a powerful community of entrepreneurs that are helping each other succeed. You will always go further in life and in business when you're part of a healthy community. I'm so passionate about this that I'm going to ask you to do something for me right now. Visit creatingabrand.com and join our community today. You can start for free and it will take you less than three minutes to set up. Once you join, message me directly. I'd love to have a conversation with you and welcome you to our community. So getting into now, how, how do these successful people learn? Because you kind of gave a broad overview of that, but what does it actually look like on a more individual, tangible basis? Like what do I need to unlearn to learn how to learn more successfully? The biggest insight for me was that what we're really taught, and a lot of this is going to seem very obvious, but it's not obvious to most people because they don't play it out to his logical conclusion, is that really what we're looking for when we're talking about learning is not to pass a test. It's to change a long-term behavior. So that is really what we're talking about. And so in order to understand how do you do that, you need to understand the way I, I try to describe it is if you imagine a vertical of learning, and there's a lot of things you can do around learning, and there's a lot of theories around learning. Rather than focusing on the vertical of learning, if you focus on the horizontal of the person and just map out all the things that need to happen in order for a person to change their long-term behavior, at least in a way that is beneficial to them and productive for them, some of these activities that you need to do become very clear. I'll just kind of take you through it fairly quickly and then I'll go back yeah. and add some some insights. So we've kind of boiled it down to seven stages of growth. 
And the first stage is, this will sound obvious again, but not obvious in how most people approach their learning, is to set a goal. Uh, set a, an outcome goal that they're striving towards. I'm going to come back to that in a in a second. And so this can be a personal goal. This could be any outcome goal where you want to achieve something. The second step is to break that down into what is called a, in the goal science is a learning goal. So most most of the time we set a goal, we don't really know how to achieve it yet, or we don't have the skills to achieve it yet. Mm-hmm. And so what we need to do is set a learning goal. So we need to get very specific about, okay, I want to I'm at point A, I want to go to point B. I need to grow in some way in order to get there. What is the skill or the strategy or the tactic that I need? Successful people identify a very specific skill that they want to acquire, which is much different than how most people approach it because most people approach it like they will be talking to their friends and their friends will say, well, here's this great book that I've read. You should read it. And that's how they decide what they are going to do. So they're kind of on this meandering path, but successful people are very clear about where they want to go and what is what they need to add to their repertoire in order to get there. So yeah. that's a step that needs to happen. The third step is that they need to then acquire the knowledge. And this is where for successful people that our service becomes very interesting because I've noticed that successful people want their information to have what we call the three T's. So they want it to be uh, timely, trustworthy, and to the point. So Timely being, mm-hmm. you know, they don't want all the fluff. They want just give me, give me the goods. Yeah. You know what? Actually, that's what I did when I first tested your service out. I wanted to see, all right, is this going to give me what I want? So I went back and listened to three books I'd previously read, pulling my notes out just to check to see if it was actually giving me the information I wanted. And uh, it was spot on. So hats off to you for sure. But that, that third point, I can tell you, that's definitely a really important thing. Yeah. And successful people are usually very busy people. So they they want mm-hmm. to get to the point. Most people are not reading business and personal development books because they enjoy it so much. There's a point to it. So timely meaning, meaning you know, it needs to be relevant to something that I want to work on right now, which again is much different than how most people approach it. And then trustworthy. They want to know like, is this information that I'm consuming, can I trust it? And so typically what that means is, you know, the proxy for that is, is this talking about a very successful company or is it is it a very successful author? They want the information. They want to feel like they can trust what they're reading without having to dig too deep into uh, mm-hmm. whether or not the theory will work. So that's the third stage is acquiring that knowledge. The fourth stage is putting it into action. And this is where I had failed miserably. What I realized is that I had fa- failed miserably in this because I wasn't doing the first three steps. So it's very hard Mm -hmm. to put something into action if it's just a conceptual idea that you may apply in the future. But if it's working on something that you need to be working on right now to accomplish some goal that's very important to you, you get over a lot of the hurdles and you're able to put it into action. That's the fourth stage. The fifth stage is, you know, if that works for you, you will then want to turn that into a behavior goal. So we want to do this not once because that only gets us the result one time, but we want to do it over a long period of time. So now we're getting into the realm of understanding how people change their behavior, which sometimes means understanding how how habits are formed and maybe how they're not formed, becoming very clear on, okay, here's how I'm going to continue to apply this in the future because it worked for me. And then the sixth stage is how do I make sure that I continue to do this behavior in the future? And then the seventh stage is, I mean, this is really important for leaders, is how do I help the people who I am leading grow and learn in this way as well and bring them up to that sixth 
stage or level where they're changing their long-term behaviors because what they're learning. So there, there's kind of a lot to unpack in there, but that's wow. what I realized. Like these are the concrete steps that successful people either consciously or unconsciously have figured out, which is not the same way that most people learn and actually requires you to unlearn a lot of what you've figured out or how to learn along the way. I just want to circle back to the fourth stage. One of the one of the insights that I found is that they will typically just try to find one idea. And you know, there's a cliche that if you only take one idea out of every single book you read, you know, it, it'll be worth its weight in gold. And the problem that I've found is that most people try to take away 10 or 20 or 100 instead of one. So I got an email from Graham one day and he said, this is exactly how I learned because we were trying to unpack this thing together. And it, it had said in this, it was this article around lessons that somebody had learned from reading X amount of books over the course of their career. And it said, as soon as you get enough information to take action, stop reading and start doing. So as soon as a successful person says, okay, got the idea, I know what to do, I'm going to go do it. They stop reading and they get into action. Because the point again is not to master the material so that you can pass a test. The point is to get something into action into the real world so you can see if it works. And if it works, you keep doing it. And if you don't, you stop doing it. So yeah, that's that smart. for me, this was a revelation because I had been operating under the assumption that there was one way to learn. It was the way that we learned how to learn in school. But here's this mm -hmm. pattern of behavior that I noticed across all of the successful people who are using our service. And again, I was just, just lucky enough that those people are very patient with me as I'm trying to unpack this and try to decode their behavior. Yeah. I was able to go back to them and basically correlate that theory with what they were doing and finally got to, yeah, that's, that is how I do it. And so now we know the difference between how unsuccessful people learn and successful people learn. Wow. These seven points. So just to read through them again here to set a goal, less is usually more, but to personal and professional goal, and then make a learning goal off of that. It's where you get really specific. That's what you want to acquire. And step three is to acquire the knowledge, get to the point, make sure it's timely and trustworthy, put it into action, which is probably the most difficult in the bunch. Turn into turn your action into a behavior. That's number five. And number six, make it a continuous behavior. And then number seven is to help others do the same. Those are really solid points. Is there any others that you want to elaborate on a bit more, you think, that we should to, to help us unpack and really understand that? There's a couple of things I'd love to jump into. The first, the first one is what gets in the way of people doing this. And so there were Another interesting thing that happened during our journey is these very successful people would buy our service for their teams and mm -hmm. they would roll it out and there'd be some adoption in the very beginning, but then over the long run, it, it kind of petered out. So people stopped using it. And the kind of this discussion that if you can imagine some thought bubbles occurring where an employee says, I want to be, I want my company to develop me. The leader says, great, well, I've, uh, here are some resources that can help you learn the way I learn. Then the employee says, oh, I, I've got too much to do and I don't have enough time. And then the leader concludes, well, you must not be motivated enough to get better than. So I've had this discussion with leaders over and over and over again, where they try to get their people to learn like they do. But because they don't understand how they're learning, they're not able to articulate it to them in a way that actually works. So that, so that was another thing we had to investigate. And as we wow. started to unpack the, the science of how a 
a person navigates through those seven steps, we had to go take a look at some biology, some psychology, and then a lot of human behavior and, and change theories. And so I found something really interesting, uh, a couple of things very interesting. One, at the biology level, most biologists and psychologists would agree that human beings were basically designed for growth. We, we come out into the world, we start exploring, and as long as our psychological needs are met, we will continue to grow. It's really just in our DNA. Human beings want to grow. And if you ask mm-hmm. anybody what their yeah. personal goals are, and we can talk about that if we have time, but everybody's got goals they're working on. Yeah. And nobody, mm-hmm. nobody on this planet is sitting around with no goals on their mind. And maybe, yeah, might be the wrong goals, but they've all got goals, right? Exactly. So that, that, that's an insight. So basically what that means is if your employees are not learning and growing, there's something going on in the environment that's getting in the way because it's in their DNA to want to do it. So mm-hmm. something's blocking it. And then, so it's not that they're not motivated enough to do it. It's something in their environment isn't working. So that was, that was insightful. And then that led us to what is known as self-determination theory, which is actually in the book Drive by Daniel Pink. Dan has his spin on it. But basically that says, self-determination theory says we have core psychological needs. And there's three of them. And they're as real as needs, like our physical needs of air and food and water and sleep and so on. And those needs are autonomy, competence, and relatedness. So, and as long as those three things are there, we will grow and we will move towards our goals. If they're not there, we'll get frustrated and move on to something else. So when you take a look at those three things and how most people grow their teams or they try to get other people to learn, there's typically two things that happen. One is the one I already described to you, which is the leader buys some access to content and they deploy it to the team and say, I've found this valuable. I think you'll find it valuable and go nuts. And so what typically happens there, because the leader has this competence in how to learn in the real world, and most of the people on their teams do not, the competence part is missing. So the autonomy is mm-hmm. is fine. There's, there's, they're giving them quite a bit of, to- of autonomy by saying, here's this content that you can use. But they're not giving them enough guardrails and competence around how to learn like they do because they're not right. they're not able to articulate it. So mm-hmm. uh, and then relatedness is that's it's kind of a low relatedness. And relatedness means there's somebody who cares about you. You feel like somebody cares about you during this process. So it it feels like a low relatedness kind of conversation because it's just uh, here's this because it's somewhat disconnected, right? Yeah. It's not and it's certainly not connected to the employees personal goals. It's just right. here, become a better employee and here's some stuff you can do. And so typically they'll they'll try to replace that with, well, it must be the content then. So I'll go get some other content and that content doesn't work. And so it must be the content. So we'll go find some other content until eventually they say, okay, well, that's not working. So let's take a different approach. And the second approach that we often see is, okay, we're going to have this very specific, the company wants the employees to get better in X, Y, and Z. We're going to create specific courses in X, Y, Z. And you must do it. So everybody who's been in a a company of any size has gone through this experience. There's no autonomy there, obviously. You have no choice. You certainly are not being made to feel competent because they're saying, here's this thing that's broken with you. We're going to fix it. It's also not a very high relatedness activity because it's not related to your goals and it's not clear to anybody that anybody cares about you. They care about the goals of the company. 
that typically doesn't work either other than people will show up to the training and, but right. mostly what will happen is they'll go back to their job and they'll not do it. And so that for me was, it started to become very clear about what gets in the way for learning for other people as well. So you need to have a process that gives somebody the autonomy to choose something on their own. You need to make sure that they feel competent in the process. So you need to make sure that there's some guardrails and teaching them how to learn, like I said, in the real world. And then there should be somebody alongside of them yeah, that the cares part. about them during the process. Exactly. And typically that, you know, the person that is best suited for that is the manager. So th those, th that was the other insight. Wow. That's really the insight that we're working on right now and working with leaders and helping them get their teams to learn is there's a way to learn in the real world. You as a leader are probably doing it. You don't realize what you're doing. So we need to teach your team how to do it. And we need to replicate what you are doing, not the specifics of what you are learning, but the process that you are either consciously or unconsciously using to go through the learning process. And if you do that, people will use their own mm -hmm. motivation to get through the process. And because they're tying it back to their own personal goals, it's a lot easier to get through those seven stages when somebody is using their internal motivation rather than external rewards or threats. I'll tell you what, my, I'm, my mind's been like a thousand miles an hour right now. Like I've, this is so insightful and such new information to me. It's, this is really like, you're really onto something here. This is great. Yeah. Like I said earlier, all of this stuff happened by accident and right. we, just, we just keep, we just keep following very slowly and not because like I said, I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed. <laughs> you're where getting this, there. Where this leads. A lot of this stuff over the last little while has really clicked for us. So we're, we're excited about it. And it's an interesting time to be working in the, the learning field for sure. Yeah, that's great. So we have a couple minutes left here. I'd love to hear from somebody who's now read, I'm guessing, over 2,000 books by now, right? I've lost track of the actual number. <laughs> okay. That's, that's roughly, roughly correct. Yeah. Uh, uh, with our last couple of minutes, I'd love just to hear what are some of your favorite that have really stood out, especially since you started implementing number four, where you're actually putting it into action. What have been some of the most beneficial reads, would you say? The books that I like to suggest are the books that will help people kind of piece together this, this theory that we're talking about. And the first one is Drive by Daniel Pink. So really understanding at our, at our core level that we have this drive to grow and improve and the things that need to be in place in order for that to mm -hmm. happen. I typically read, there's these huge books that are collections of the science behind all this stuff. So I'm, I'm happy to, if anyone writes in and says, well, what, what, what are the, the heavier books behind this? I'm happy to yeah. point them in that direction. We'll put those in the show notes, but, actually. That'd be great. But Dan Pink does a really good job of, of summarizing that field in his book Drive. So understanding that is is a good first step. There's a lot of uh, there's a lot of goal setting theory that you need to get right in order to make this process work. And in the same idea, uh, there's a book called Succeed uh, that talks about uh, how to how to best approach setting goals and, and why you need to set them. Okay. That kind of summarizes all of the research in in that area. And then in terms of uh, how to implement these ideas and turn them into long-term behavior change, there's two books that I would suggest. One is The Checklist Manifesto, which talks about the fact that even very successful people have a hard time 
implementing all of the things that they have learned. Mm -hmm. And almost like children in kindergarten, they need a checklist of things in order to remind themselves of here's what we do next. Yeah. And somebody, and there's an, the second book in that field that I would suggest is Principles by Ray Dalio. It's a, it's a book that where Ray Dalio is the founder of a hedge fund called Bridgewater. And it's one of the, I think it's actually the largest hedge fund on the planet with hundreds of billions of dollars of assets and one of the, one of the richest guys in the world. And he, he details out how he's developed mm -hmm. these principles over a long period of time that he always relies on to make decisions. And what I find fascinating about the book is the beginning of the book. So if you're going to read any part of this book, read the beginning where he details how he has developed this process for himself, which is kind of what we're talking about is you find out what works, make sure you've got a system in place in order to continue to do what works over the long haul. And he lists about all the, the principles that he mm -hmm. has found helpful. But the, the most fascinating part, like I said, is the, the way he approached it. And I think that if everybody took the approach yeah. that Ray Dalio did, they'd be much further ahead. And we put them in a very small percentage of the population that's willing to take this through to its logical conclusion and get more out of life and whatever that happens to be of what they're looking for. That's great. Like I said, we're going to have all this in the show notes. But Steve, I seriously appreciate your time. This was so insightful. One of the most insightful interviews I've ever done. Thank you for being a guest here today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me and, and thanks for listening. This interview blew my mind. Steve is figuring out the formula for how successful people learn and implement what they learn. Then he shared it with all of us. How cool is that? This is an interview I'm going to reference back to time and time again as I continue to develop my own skills and abilities to learn and implement. So I'm really excited about that. Now, this next part I'm going to mention here is probably what you've been waiting for for the entire episode. I mentioned the intro and exclusive offer that Steve is willing to offer to all of us. He's kind enough to offer something incredible, which is a free membership for one year just to the Creating a Brand podcast listeners. So I am so excited to be able to extend this offer to you. And Steve, thank you again for that. If you're interested, visit readitfor.me slash Alex. That's R E. A-D-I-T-F-O-R dot M-E slash A-L-E-X to get started for free for one year. Steve, thank you again for that. Really appreciate it. Now, you're probably like me, where people recommend books to you all the time. So this service has been a game changer because the last seven years I've had a backlog of books that I'm now actually getting caught up on because of this summary service. I'm really excited about it. It's been a game changer in my life. Here is how I actually use this service, just so you know. I listen to the same summary five days in a row. It's actually on my drive to work. So I have about a 15-minute ride to work, and it's about a 12-minute summary every day. So I'll listen to the same one every day of the week to really get it in my mind, and then I'll write my own overview and notes of it at the end of the week. And then I share that in the Creating a Brand community in our book club. That's right. The Creating a Brand community has a book club cool kids only. So I've learned a lot by doing this and being able just to summarize it myself and begin an implementation practice from this. So I challenge you to do something that's similar to that. Don't just listen to one summary at a time just to check it off a list. Really implement what you're learning. Take time with it. So Steve, thank you again for being a guest on the Creating Brand Podcast and sharing your research on the topic of learning with us all. It's going to go a long way and help all of us. For show notes from today's episode, including resources mentioned during the episode, visit creatingabrandpodcast.com. As always, thank you so much for listening, for subscribing and reviewing this podcast. I appreciate each and every one of you, and I'm looking forward to sharing another episode with you next week.